Hello, I'm Jason Solomons. Welcome to Seen Any Good Films Lately, the podcast with all the film recommendations, the personalities behind them, and the movies that move them. I, I sat there afterwards and I thought, I don't, I'm not sure I, I could have directed that like that. It was so simple and so exquisitely made and so subtle and had such very profound things to say about female friendship. Romola Garay is my guest today. She's been in Atonement, I Capture the Castle, Suffragette, and on TV in The Hour and The Miniaturist, just to name a few. And now she's made her feature directing debut with horror film Amulet. We talked to Romola about making the movie and the movies that inspired her to do so. We've also got world-renowned artists on the podcast, Joanna Haji-Thomas and Khalil Jorej, with their beautiful film Memory Box, opening up all the emotions of a youth spent under bombardment in Beirut while listening to Blondie. And of course, I'll tell you if I've seen any good films lately. Let's get right into the first review, and that's of Nightmare Alley, the latest from Guillermo del Toro, whose last film, the monster B-movie pastiche The Shape of Water, somehow won him the Oscar for Best Picture. For me, anyway, this film is much better. It's pastiche again, yes, but it's of one of my favourite genres, film noir starring Bradley Cooper as a grifter who learns his con tricks at the circus before attempting to scam a Chicago tycoon with the help of a platinum blonde psychiatrist, a femme fatale, played by Kate Blanchett, channeling Lauren Bacall, Veronica Lake, Barbara Stanwyck and all. Doctor. Mr. Carla. What's that? Your half. That's split, 50-50. Not interested. I got what I wanted. But you should have seen him. My God. I think they'll be talking about that the rest of his life. I think every time they tell it, it'll just get better and better, bigger and bigger. Toast, then, to your success. Uh, he asked me to uh, see one of his friends. Who might that be? He didn't say, but I'm considering it. I'll tell you what, you got to save I do. Why you keep this for me? I don't want Molly to know about it anyway. Why don't you keep it for a few days? If you change your mind, we'll split it 50-50. And if not, I'll keep it. I liked it. Nightmare Alley is a good film. Stylishly done, great production design, lovely costumes. The script is nicely constructed too, even if the setup's a little slow to get going. But something does fail to spark it into greatness. I'm not sure I felt any sexiness between Bradley Cooper's relationships with either Rooney Mara or Kate Blanchett. I mean, it it looked great, but it didn't really match up to the best of the noirs in emotional terms. It didn't leave me distraught at the hardness of heart or dry-mouthed at the temptations of the femme fatale or wincing at the acidity of the dialogue. But it's certainly worth watching because greed, lust, betrayal, sex, they're always great ingredients at the movies. Now, Memory Box is a lovely new film from artists and directors Joan Hajitoma and Khalid Jorej. They're originally from Lebanon but now resident in Paris. The film's about a teenager in Montreal whose mother receives a box in the post on Christmas Eve, which the mum doesn't want to open for fear of the memories it holds. 
The daughter, nevertheless, sneaks in and delves in and sifts through her mum's diaries and cassette tapes that she finds in there and transports this girl and us back to the 1980s, to Beirut, to growing up in the bombardment of the Civil War with all its teenage friendships, heartaches, loves and losses. I asked the filmmakers if this gorgeous movie was different to their other works because of it being so personal. It, it is different because, uh, of course, uh, you know, there's two things. First, because of the subject. It's, uh, so it's a film that is based on uh, notebooks, uh, tapes and, uh, and letters that I sent to my best friend in the 80s. So, of course, you, you can see those in the film. So uh, even if the film is not uh, autobiographical, it, it's a fiction, but it is based on those notebooks that we adapted with pictures that, and images that Khalid took uh, during the war at the same time in the 80s. I also wanted to know how all their relationship began, Joanna and Khalil, if they knew each other back when these diaries were being written. Yes, yeah. and and he is present in my notebooks. We'd, I didn't really like him, but we met uh, uh, in the in the village where, that you see in the film. And uh, this is why we really wanted to shoot there, in this village where we met first and uh, disliked each other a lot. Ah. And then little for by long little, period. for a long moment, long like uh, some years and then uh, met again did you so it was also for us really funny to reconnect with that so when you opened your notebook and there were some things you say oh i love this guy or he was cool and she was lovely and i had nice and then i see this oh, Khalil, oh my god he's so oh he's so awful he's so boring well there's some things in the pages that you had yeah, yeah with funny. nicknames and things like this and, and so i of course we 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 had forgotten a bit about exactly <laughs> what i was writing so it was a lot of fun we also discussed the continual renewal of building and memories that are necessary in beirut we talked about cinema they support there and the triggering power of music and food we, we shot the film in 2019 and started to edit the, uh, the material uh, in, uh, in the fall, where, where at the moment where Beirut was going uh, under a terrible economic collapse. And so it was really very strange and uh, very emotionally difficult because we wanted to do this film as a transmission from our past to our daughter to reactivate the past in the present but we didn't expect it to be so reactivated in a way because there's a lot of echoes with the sentences that are really taken from my notebooks where i talk about the, the devaluation of the money of uh, uh, and all and the exile and all this and it was uh, very sad to to, ha to have those echoes and in the same time, uh, the last scene of the film is shot in a place that has been totally destroyed after the blast. Wow. So it's being rebuilt. It's going to obviously, hopefully, be rebuilt again. See, we do this. Yeah. It's in memory is, is in the buildings. It, obviously, in Beirut, you have... Yeah, but, but when if you go today to Beirut, you will say exactly what she said, meaning everything has been rebuilt, or at least in facade. Uh, like we rebuilt our house. Yeah. Uh, the you... studio is too destroyed, so we have to move to another one in the same district. But do you and Vanna feel... was really at 300 meters from the uh, from the explosion in a cafe, mm -hmm. and she. Uh... But you see, you have this impression that it's always about uh, cycles uh, of destruction and reconstruction yeah. of disaster and regeneration, and this is how we wanted to end the film because. Uh, it's very difficult uh, to, um, to 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 have all this despair. Mm. You know, uh, we were so desperate that we felt that we we just can't end like this. We have to find a way to uh, to say that uh, 
there will be light, uh, like the song would say in the film. Mm. But don't you find memory is in the streets? Here in London, we have memory in every street corner on the old neighborhoods, but then we have the new buildings coming up to replace them. But memory is still there. And you, you have the same in Paris, I'm sure. Some Yeah, but uh, you know, memory doesn't need always uh, a materiality. You have a lot of things that will go through through storytelling, for example, through even sometimes you don't understand from where you remember these things. But what is great with document is that sometimes it surprises you because it comes and, okay, I always have difficulty to say this word. Uh, Serendipity. <laughs> Serendipity, it's a very bon mot, it's a very nice word. Yeah, Serendipity <laughs> are nice encounters. It's eruption in the weed that surprise you and suddenly open a lot of possibilities. Mm. This serendipity is about is in is the documents, the archives yes. are full of that. Yeah. But also, you know, in in Lebanon and I think in many many countries, the problem is not about memory. It's about uh, uh, it's about traces and history like what you do with traces and what which what, what kind of history would you share as a as as a community as as a, sometimes as a family mm. like what is the histories that you will that you will remember uh, and uh, that will become the official history uh, and sometimes you have to deconstruct this history to be able to to exist and live as a subject as a person today yeah. uh, in your present I think cinema is obviously going to be a big collective history one day uh, when they when they keep finding old films or they have the digital memories of them. And you you you, you talk about cinema in your in your film. They go to see, uh, as we mentioned, the Phantom of the of, of the Paradise. Yeah. Uh, have you got a favourite? Is that your cinema in 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 Beirut? What's your favourite cinema? Uh, we we were uh, helping uh, to run a cinema called Metropolis. That is a two-screen cinema uh, that is really a great place to, sh to see films and retrospective, but had to close after the, the collapse and the explosion, the blast uh, destroyed part of it. Oh, no. But we had to close before, because, uh, because, but we are reopening a place and uh, Metropolis is really like a kind of baby for us. What was the, um, the, 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 the song that... that was the key song for you I mean all your friends you danced to to, to Blondie uh, yes. one way or another was that the real song that, that was the real one that all your all your friends danced to um, there was many of them but this one was one and Blondie was very important all the new waves also you know the, and and uh, like in the in the film even 30 years after when the song started we reunite and we and we dance thinking that we are still really young <laughs> and that we have a life <laughs> in front of us. I'm repeating and the same choreography. Yes. So this is why we quit breakdance. You've got the moves, yeah. Uh, but now yeah. your back hurts if you try them. <laughs> exactly. This is uh, this is why breakdance is not uh, something that we do. But it's, but it's true. Mm. Those things that spark memory, like songs and films, uh, food does it too. I think there's a, there's a scene, a very little scene at the start where uh, the grandmother makes kibbeh yeah. No. Well, like, Anna, uh, leaves. Leaves, leaves uh, the vine, vine leaves. Yes, uh, a little vine, and uh, and th those spark. You know. And there is kibbe, but you're right. There, there is the also yeah. It's like uh, the little madeleine, and I thought, ah, oh, they're like the little madeleine of our heritage, 
that they exactly we, we the film is is uh, is filled with madlands meaning uh, but the grandmother because you are talking about this scene where they are cooking together yes the same uh, 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 um, they are seeing one is talking in arabic the other one is answering in another language yes. they are not speaking anymore the la same language but they are able to communicate with different elements among them the food among them being together and exchanging with uh, tactile, hectic things. It's very central. Memory is something that is very central. It's and the film, if it's also joyful, is because it is central, meaning the archive are central. You want to touch them. You want to uh, to 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 stay to be surrounded by them. Mm. I wish I could. My, I have some diaries, but I, I was never very good at art, so I can't fold them and put photos and cut them and yeah and this is please leave us this pleasure because we are also artists so we we mix these two practices the one of the uh, coming from the arts um and the one from cinema the um if if i was to come to your flat which looks very nice in paris after to celebrate your film uh would you cook me some lebanese food what would of you what, what would you cook no lebanese food yeah what, uh, no lebanese it's not food lebanese food that you don't eat in the restaurants Lebanese food that we eat home, like no. for example, <laughs> uh, yeah, or things with rice and. But uh, you know kibbe, you know, because you vegetables. you were mentioning kibbe. Yes. There's yes. thousands of ways to to, to cook kibbe and to mix it with different. Uh, our specialty is kibbe with eggplants. Oh, yeah, I have that. And the uh, which is <laughs> melus from coming from grenades. Oh. And vinegar. So very sweet. Meaning, uh, but this is because it's coming from my family. Yeah, but if I do, if you did give me a vine leaf, I know I would only take one at a time. So, <laughs> because two because you are, leaves. you know how long, uh, how difficult it is to do. So you appreciate one by one. I shall appreciate, like I appreciate your film very much. Memory Box is well worth opening, and it does so in London and Paris this week, starting here in the UK, January the twenty-first. Talking of memoirs, Ken Branner's Belfast is out now, a black and white homage to his own youth in the city, set during the escalating tensions of the summer of 1969, when troubles between Catholics and Protestants and the arrival of the British army saw communities and childhoods split apart. You're running around here like the man in the big picture, not paying your taxes and spending all our money on horses. It's the building trade. I told you it doesn't work the normal way. I told you I had it covered. I was the one who had it covered. No, you had us paying three years of back tax. To keep you out of bloody jail. We're drowning in debt. We're near done with the back tax. £10 a month for three bloody years. This is the time to think about making a new start. I know nothing else but Belfast. Exactly. There's a whole world out there. We can give these boys a better chance than we ever had. There's Commonwealth countries needing tradesmen. The government will give you assisted passage. We can get the whole family to the other side of the world for £10. We're living in a civil war. I'm not here to protect my family. It's a twinkling, heartwarming film, no doubt. Uh, it was the awards frontrunner, I'd say, although its sentimentality seems to be putting voters off in the final stretches. Although I'm feeling prizes will still come to Catriona Balfe, who plays the very beautiful Ma, and Kieran Hines, who plays the grandpa. Despite Judy Dench's accent, I actually liked the emotional wallow of all of this. When you deal with nostalgia, it seems to me you want the softness of it. A child's eye innocence takes the edges off, you know, what could have been a very hard-hearted look 
at uh, the ravages of community and sort of uh, tribal factions. So you want that and you want the romanticism of the music of Van Morrison. If you want toughness, they see a film like 71 uh, by Jan de Monge. But for memory and warmth, Belfast is all right. It's a love letter to a very poisonous time. Van Morrison and Warm Love from Belfast. Now to my main guest, Romana Garay, the actress who's turned director for her feature debut, Amulet. It's a horror story about an Eastern European migrant, an ex-soldier, played by Alex Setrianu from God's Own Country, who finds himself in London in a big spooky house doing renovations to it, having been rescued from a fire by a kindly-seeming nun, played by Imelda Staunton. But as he falls for his new landlady in this house and her mysteriously addictive cooking, he discovers hairless bats in the plumbing, lumps of black mould in the walls, sinister insignia in the ceiling, all while guilt and flashbacks from his past are closing in. When I caught up with Romola Garay last week, she's known for period dramas like Atonement and Suffragette and Emma on TV or Glorious 39. And I asked her if she was surprised by the fact that for her debut as a director, she'd made a horror film such as Amulet. I think it would have, it maybe would have surprised me if I was like 20 and they turn. But no, I mean, now, like, I, I think the thing is, it's maybe more surprising to other people, or, or maybe people who don't know me personally, do you know what I mean? People are like, huh, well, you've never acted in a horror film, you know, that's not your genre. But you know, the thing is, of course, like, I would have loved to have acted in a horror film. But you know, as an actor, you get often get the career you get, and you just roll with that. And um, so, so yeah, I mean, the, the, I guess it's a sort of maybe a strange kind of debut for me but I think everybody who knows me is like yeah of course you did like <laughs> is it is it because of what you you're, you know you're smuggling in I don't know if smuggling is the right word but you're put your you're, you're smuggling in messages things that you wanted to say within the genre I mean that's what genre is there for it's to sort of I don't know that I smuggle them they're sort of strapped to the <laughs> strapped obvious. to the front of the train aren't they <laughs> <laughs> but I mean but they are I mean because you say I've made a horror film and people don't don't expect it to be about perhaps so feminist or perhaps uh, so 
full of anger about certain issues, or maybe they do. That, that's the bit that of, of you that I expect, rather than some sort yeah. of that, that, that she's made a horror movie. So I suppose I suppose what we're saying is that you've you know that genre now is is very expandable, and you can kind of play within it and do what you want with it. Yeah, and obviously there is the kind of like there is a you know tradition of kind of revenge fantasy and horror. That's like a well trod path, and obviously, and then there's a subsection of that which is sort of feminist revenge you know rape revenge films like that's obviously a very kind of um long tradition and you know the film kind of works within that I suppose I mean it was a weird experience for me writing the film because it was the only time like I I I made my short and then you know that kind of like I, I started to write features after that but it was slightly, the whole process was slightly slowed up because I had, I started a family at the same time. So like, you know, it wasn't the kind of, you know, quick jump from short to, to feature anyway, because of that. And then, you know, I, I, I think I basically started writing features that were just too expensive. I started to write features that were very much the kinds of films that I had acted in. Yeah. And they were mid, they were like mid-budget British films. Now that sort of budget range is a much smaller part of the industry now. You have to go lower or higher, you know. And after a few years of trying to develop like features that had a bigger budget than Amulet and not getting where I needed to get, somebody said to me, have you thought about writing a horror film? And you know, you love horror, you like, you know, I enjoyed horror films. And so I kind of had a couple of weeks spare and I just thought oh I'll have a go you know and I did a sort of it was sort of like free writing you know I didn't have a strong idea of what I was going to write and this is what came out so <laughs> it looks beautiful uh there's some some fantastic scenes in there that you know that are shocking and quite quite scary and ah, kind of like my fingers were like this uh there's also a house in there that um that creeps me out you know scary houses are really good i think they're a staple of horror and i think but i think we all we've all sort of bought one or lived in one or had building nightmares and scraped away things and i think that appeals to many many people where is this house how did you find it were you actually in that in a real house yeah we were in a real house except for the attic so we had to build the attic because it wasn't big enough but the um the house was it's in battersea it exists it's there it uh we were I mean, literally two weeks, two weeks away from from our proposed start date. And we were very much at the point of having to shift the film, which given the kind of film it was, might have meant that the film would collapse, you know, um, in the way that these things can be quite precarious. We had really struggled to find somewhere because if you go on like location sites, you know, everything's been used or it's too big. You know, it's not like a mansion, as you say, like the, you know, the the trope, the sort of film trope is that it's like a big, scary mansion. But this is just an ordinary, yeah, this is just an ordinary house, you know, on a London street. I was like, how hard can it be to find a derelict, rundown house on an ordinary London street? But, you know, obviously people live in those houses and, you know, don't want to move in unless somebody make a horror film and then for very good reasons <laughs> so we'd done all the things and we'd fly at streets and we would tried every kind of possible avenue but then this couple who bought a house but hadn't uh done any work to it yet but were about to kind of gut it let us go in and like go mad in there but it was perfect because i think the things that i recognize about like you know obviously being brought up in the uk about there being that everything's damp all the time you know they've just been black mold around all of the windows the plumbing not working the sinks and radiators making strange noises like all of those things were already there in this house so and there was japanese knotweed in the garden so we weren't allowed out into the garden so it was already felt like the house was just kind of 
full of things attacking it and um yeah it was it was great i love it i hope they've done it up and now they've got like a movie as seen in yeah i think there's like a gym in there (laughs) (laughs) how did you find the process are you you mentioned there about going too high and trying to get things made and then the industry not 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 responding to it not listening to it what did you find the problems there were and now that you've made this one the cheap one uh, and people like it and it's coming out you can kind of go right well i can make a movie uh, what is the next step to kind of go right well i've got these two mid-budget ones that i want to get done and people will listen to you is that is that how it works i think the only thing i've learned at all in the sort of 10 years that i've been since making my short to making my feature obviously a couple of years eaten up with covid is that it is absolutely pointless to try and have any kind of plan you know like you have to produce as much work as you can and just throw it all at the wall and just you know maybe something will stick like every time i've gone this will be my next film you know then people will go no it won't <laughs> you know what i mean and um and you just take constant knocks and you have to just kind of constantly be reappraising and you know to stick all of your eggs in your one basket and say this is the film that I'm going to make next and I'm going to like I mean certainly for me it's just emotionally too hard as well because then when people say no and people say no all the time you just get constant no's all day every day weeks and weeks and weeks in and out it's just too hard you know so I think for me I just try to have a spread of different things all going trying to come up with new ideas a a lot and try to be fairly kind of fluid because otherwise because of the industry we have because of where cinema is because of um covid as well now obviously as well like yeah you 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 just don't you don't have the opportunity to say and now i will make my four hour like (laughs) film you know adaptation of to the lighthouse because you know people will be like "Mm, i'm not sure about that what you've been watching you've seen any good films lately yeah i have yeah i um I, I I was um, I was aware when we were started talking that that the two films that I saw recently that I've really loved are I think recent to streaming but not like super recent because I, I I really I saw Lynn and Lucy oh yeah for the first That's time an interesting film I thought it was an absolutely incredible film and I walked around our living room really angry for about an hour afterwards as to why it didn't win like all the prizes yeah you know. I just thought it was utterly, utterly, utterly extraordinary. And I think it's not easy to make such a simple film so good. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I had things, I had scares, I had the option, you know what I mean? Like this film is just about two women who are friends. It's Nicola and- Burley and remember that a girl that they found on the streetcar yeah yeah and a, a, a non-actress mm. essentially or, or or it was her certainly her first piece of acting and yeah she and, answered an advert in the Dagenham yeah Dagenham answered an advert in the paper yeah and I just thought it was I it absolutely blew me away and I and I've been sort of boring everybody rigid about a good it shout I've forgotten I love a bit of slice of British social realism I really do and that has a little twist on it and and uh, uh, yes very good shout it was a forgotten movie it did a little bit of festival circuitry but I, I sat there afterwards and I thought I don't I'm not sure I, I could have directed that like that it was so simple and so exquisitely made and so subtle and had such very profound things to say about female friendship yeah. which 
you know, sadly, you know, it still feels like, you know, that that's something that people feel like, well, it's a, a woman should be, but it was a, a man who directed that it film and that, I yeah. thought it had some incredibly powerful things to say about women and their relationship. forgetting his name, unfortunately, but that's... Uh, yeah, he's really like good. <laughs> and what was the other, you said you saw another thing? Yeah, the other one was The Nest. Oh, yeah, with uh, which, Jude Law and Karen Yeah, Jules. we were at Sundance with that film. But I think that that film's release last last year, I was uh, I was away when it was out in cinemas. And then, uh, so I just watched it for the first time last week. And it was, I thought, again, a really, a really, really amazing film. Um, I had a, I think a kind of for, for for me there was there was a um a problem or or an, something to be overcome which is that you don't really like any of the of of the people in the film initially and so you sort of think oh this the work of this film is that I'm going to be having to like this like rich stockbroker and his awful spoiled wife and their awful spoiled children but like r- really quickly it just becomes about how awful it is to kind of move house <laughs> there's a spooky house movie as well <laughs> spooky house and you know and also the the money like how money is just so corrosive of 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 everything yeah. and i i found it really powerful actually in a sort of like slightly like a dickens do you know what i mean like in that it was sort of about the kind of corrosive of power of money on the family unit and i found it very profound yeah, and i dickens I, is a really interesting little comparison because it is that it's got that sort of that, that parvenu that nouveau riche kind of yeah. thing going on but i think jude's really jude's always much better when you don't like the character yeah I've, i'm afraid i feel exactly the same i don't i never believe him as a nice person <laughs> i've never met him i don't know anything about him i'm sure he's lovely but like i i don't ever buy i always just find him much more watchable much more believable when he's playing these awful characters um and she is so extraordinary in it and like you know carrie coon is obviously has a really long body of work but like has really kind of you know is having a, a, a real moment in the last few years but she has she has a scene in the film where um he tries to order for her in a restaurant which is maybe one of the i i mean i i don't laugh out loud that much when i'm watching uh anything really even comedies but like i really laughed out loud and started clapping my hands has anyone kinda, tried to order for you i mean if they if they did, I mean, just just out of pure spite, I would, you know, refuse and I would order something I probably didn't didn't want. Although, actually, I mean, I'm so incredibly greedy that like anybody who knew me at all would know that I would eat anything. So if I would be like, well, I don't like celery, people would be like, well, that's not true. Most expensive thing on the menu, just always do that. Yeah. That'll piss them off. Lobster spaghetti or something like that. Yeah. Um, quick fire. What's the first film you ever saw at the cinema, Roman Garen? The first film I ever remember mm. seeing mm. was Disney's Pocahontas. Oh, that explains you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I cried and cried and cried. The Where would way. that have been? It would have been in the little local cinema, which is sadly no longer there, in the town of Chippenham uh, in Wiltshire. Oh, it's not there. No. Mm. Yeah, sad. Yeah, it was a just two-screen little old, you know. But Pocahontas, and there she was, yeah. feisty female heroine. I think yeah, feisty years. female heroine at one with nature and, uh, yeah, uh, like ganging up against the men with an army of raccoons yeah. by her side. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that does explain you a lot. Um, yeah. What film changed your life? And it could either be one that you were in or one that you saw and it just had an impact. I think I would probably say Cachet, the Hanukkah film, because I think my parents were very sort of uh, quite puritanical about art and they were constantly we we didn't really have a television we weren't really allowed to watch things and then when i was a teenager i kind of went right the other way and only ever wanted to watch speed and like 
you know, like blockbusters. And I'd watched it with my brother and we watched like Total Recall and, you know, I, I went the other way. I really rejected a lot Speed of that. Speed is very pure cinema, I have to say. Yeah, just, I mean, just it's sort of as a, as a movie, death, yeah. you know? um, But like, I really, really went very much the other way because I found the kind of overbearing effort to kind of cult, like fill us full of culture as children, I found quite like, um, I, I got exhausted by I'm that. I'm a bit remiss now, I'm feeling bad. I should be forcing it down my children. No, no, well, this is the point. Like, don't do that because I think it's counterproductive. So then I think I was about sort of 23 when that movie came out, 24. And that is obviously like, I think one of the greatest films ever made. And I was completely changed by it. And I actually, I sort of had a, a real understanding that like, I suppose that the effort to try and create something that's really confronting for the audience, that that is not convenient for them, that they're not going to be allowed to go home and feel good about themselves, that they're going to be forced to ask questions about their kind of purest uh, lies and dis deceits and the sort of failure of, of, of human beings to kind of um, be their best selves as uh, an important uh, thing for, for filmmakers to do. So yeah, that had a, that film had a really big impact I think on it's it. one of the great films of this 21st century. Uh, yeah. I th uh, yeah. It's, I think it's almost untouchable and you know and obviously that, that, that scene where you know he slits his throat and you sort of feel all of the awful horror of, of colonialism and, and racism and everything that that did like that for me was like this is what cinema is, is for you know that it can take an image a moment and describe this whole history of human experience behind I, it when I was at the premiere of that in Cannes the first screening of that so no one knew what was going to happen and that happened and the, the, it's still the most shocking moment I've ever felt in, in a room. The whole audience, some gasped, some, yeah. some cried, some were shot. I could feel it. The knife almost cut everyone's throat at the same time in there. And it was just such a piercing kind of gesture. Uh, yeah. Uh, great choice. What films did you watch for inspiration for Amulet? So the, bi the big one that I, I thought about a lot when I was going into it was The Tenant, because that's also one of my favorite films um Ooh, and i guess the that, tenant the tenant yeah. yeah polanski yeah so i think i went in thinking a lot about um films that i liked that were very much about a kind of individual's fractured identity and also about their relationship with their environment mm. you know so that's obviously something that was a big kind of that was the thing that I was thinking about at the beginning as well. And also not really a horror film, but I really love Pan's Labyrinth. That's one of my my favorite films. And Pan's Labyrinth offers a kind of karmic resolution at the end of the film, um, which is something that I found very affecting when I saw it very moving. And I, and I want to sort of emulate some of that. Also creatures, you know, I love creatures in films. So that I think was kind of in my mind. In this one, yeah. yeah. And then, when we when yeah when we started storyboarding and kind of talking about it we ended up like looking at two european horror films trouble every day and um Zalowski's possession as well as a way of kind of finding a narrative oh and hellraiser as well uh, as a way of kind of finding a kind of um visual narrative for something that's that feels very well in the example of of Hellraiser very British and in those other films kind of quite European you know so there is the sense of the kind of dampness and the coldness and not the richness the saturation that you get more with Hollywood horror films you know that this feels kind of more dull and kind of slimy. <laughs> Great choices did you have a film poster on your wall when you were a kid or a teenager? When I was a teenager, I did, but it was like, I was very, very obsessed with Keanu Reeves. So this was in my hyper kind of like, I was really into blockbusters. So, you know, I had like two like massive naked 
like pictures of like Keanu Reeves and maybe Did I you had get naked pictures of Keanu Reeves. Well, he was topless. He oh, was okay. topless. But I remember my dad objecting, which was hilarious, like saying that this is, you know, inappropriate, but like really huge. And that would have been speed, uh, point break, mm. meet Joe Black, you know, around those, those sorts of like peak Keanu. That was my sort of, those were my posters. Yeah. Oh. What about now? Do I have? I, I mean, Sam won't let me keep the Keanu posters up <laughs> from my, in my room now. He says I am not allowed them. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, no. I had. I have one. I, I've only ever bought one original sort of film poster, and that was of The Graduate, which is what also one of my favorite films, which I, I I really really love. But I think after Me Too, I took it down. I just sort of thought I don't want to look at it. Like it was it was a picture of. Um, and Frank Croft and you know she's kind of smoking there's something about the film's relationship with women and their sexuality and that I don't know I just I always sort thought, of thought she was held up as a woman with agency so she does have agency in the film but I sort of feel like she's bested by the film isn't she kind of humiliated yes, by the film and yeah, the shots she's... of her at the end where she's like ah, I think she's punished you know. for her sexuality isn't she yeah yeah so I, I I took it down and yeah it's in the attic now I think <laughs> okay Captain punishing me from the attic <laughs> have you ever fallen in love at the movies well I mean there's Keanu of course mm-hmm. like but felt if that could be called love it's but definitely really, love yeah. it definitely wasn't love <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I I I I I have definitely had film experiences watching films with people where I've understood in the course of the film, like watching the film, that they were somebody that I, yeah, that I I could I could love, yeah. But I suppose I guess maybe I would say that I probably had the reverse more, <laughs> where you're in a movie with someone and they don't get it, and you're like, oh, oh I don't. Right, well, they we're not together. What all they? Talk. Yeah, I went on a date to see Muriel's wedding once with somebody and they didn't laugh once, like in the whole film. And I just literally walked out of the cinema and was like, oh, I, my leg hurts. I think it's falling off. I've got to go. Got to go. You're terrible, yeah. you said. <laughs> You're terrible, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favourite screen musical moment? It can be a dance number from a, a musical or it can be just be the use of music to illustrate a scene. That is such a good question. I think I would... I would probably say it's the music in Under the Skin, Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin. Mika music, yeah. All the way through that, that, I can hear yeah. it. Yeah, it, cha- it changed things, didn't it? It changed things, and, and it spawned a million, like, um, uh, 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 imitations, hasn't it? But I, I had never heard a score like that, you know? I mean, I, ha- I have lots of favourite soundtracks you know in the moved for love and you know amazing you know the piano and i think for me that that the 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 way that 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 was kind of reduced to its absolute like minimalist nothingness and the impact that that had on the screen and actually i have to say like i've never watched under the skin with the with the with the music off but i don't know if the film would work without it. Oh, it's a it. character, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a yeah, yeah. Character. I mean, it's almost the most important thing about the film. You know, I mean, I love the film. I, I think it's extraordinary, but I think the, the music is doing 70% of the work. And, and so I suppose I feel like it's really significant. Cause very good, very good choice. Two quick ones. If I could transport you through time and you could visit a set of a film being made anywhere in the world, what set would you go to? Or maybe what scene would you go to? I think I would be very intrigued to kind of... I mean, well, this is probably quite a boring answer, but A Clockwork Orange is one of my favourite films. It's and boring, it'd be amazing. 
to be there. <laughs> yeah, and I think I would love to 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 stand there and watch Kubrick direct that film, and to have and I, I suppose to wonder what it felt like because I, I feel like that film maybe more than any other film I've ever seen is like the perfect imagining of somebody's subconscious of their like interiority outwards, you know? And when you do that, you have to like, you know, I've now made a film for a small film, but like, you know, you have to, you have to make every single person like, you know, come together to kind of realize your subconscious, you know, and the effort of will, the strength of character, the kind of ego that it takes to make that happen is something I hadn't quite appreciated before. And I think, and I appreciate that. I, I mean, I appreciate it in terms of it being a compliment. And I would love to see somebody just like make a piece of work that felt so extraordinarily kind of horrific and extreme and make everybody go do that and go along with that and um yeah and just the kind of pure unadulterated creativity of that film yeah there's a kubrick lurking in you i can see Maybe there. <laughs> uh finally what's your favorite cinema where's your favorite to, cinema? for cinema to go to yeah. and these days it's the picture house central mm, it's good, good place. as amulet playing there yes it is we have a preview screening on friday yeah <laughs> Very exciting. Well, that's a, that's great when it's your favorite. Is that where is that the, what's the best one you've ever been in, like a cinema? Oh, the best cinema I've ever been to is in San Sebastian. It's 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 right. Have you been there? Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Not the I old mean, one, I, not the new one. Not the new one. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Isn't it? I, I love that place. Yeah. On the, yeah, on the I street mean, with all the sort of bar tapas bars around it. And it yeah, it's old school really cinema. beautiful. Yeah, I, and you, I, I, I was in a film that played there, and it was an amazing experience. Which Such one? a beautiful place. It, it was um, called Earwig. It's the Lucille Hadzahalabilovic most recent Lucille Hadzahalabilovic film. It's yeah. coming out. Uh, we hope it's coming out soon. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, because it was in the London Film Festival just before Christmas. So hopefully, yeah, be released quite soon. So we can yeah. see you in Earwig and we can see your actual subconscious live on screen at Amulet in Picture House Central. <laughs> For anybody who needs to see my subconscious, it's now available <laughs> to view. Yeah. Well, listen, yeah, uh, lovely to speak to you, obviously. Yeah, Thank nice you. to speak to you, man. Take care. Lots see you soon. Bye. Bye. And Romola Garay's Amulet is out in previews all week and on nationwide UK release from January the 28th. And that's it for this week. I'll be back on the awards season trail next week. Be talking to the BAFTA longlisted director Sonita Gale about her very powerful documentary Hostile, which looks at the government's hostile environment policy the heartache it's causing and why. And in the tonal shift of the year, I'll have the wonderful Garth Jennings on talking about his spectacular new animation, Sing 2. Thanks to my guests from this week, Joanna Hajitoma and Khalil Jorej, and to Romola Garay and to editor Kate Dawkins, as ever. If you want to come and say hello, by the way, I'll be hosting Q&As at Finsbury Park Picture House on Friday, January the 21st, and at the Rio in Dalston on January the 23rd for the film Hostile. So we'll have some serious discussions down there. So do come along, watch the doc, ask some questions. And if not, I'll see you next week. And we'll play out with a gorgeous ode from the end of Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. It's not all hard of heart when you can hear Stardust by Hoagie Carmichael. See ya. Though I dream in vain in my heart, it will remain my stardust melody, the memory of love. Refrain.